Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called The Greatest Story Ever Foretold. Uh, And in these few weeks together, we've been looking at different sections of Scripture that actually foretell, that speak ahead of um, the story and the arrival of Jesus. One of the things that we've said about the Christmas story, the real Christmas story from Scripture, that makes it so incredibly unique was the fact that it was the story that was told before it ever happened. It was a story that was foretold. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about the fact that there are around 300 prophecies in the Old Testament um, that Jesus would ultimately fulfill through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. 300 different statements of truth that would be made about him that Jesus then would ultimately fulfill himself. And a couple weeks ago, um, I gave you at the beginning of our series, just some mathematical statistics that were just crazy of one man actually fulfilling, not 300, but just kind of a handful of these. Um, and last week it was, we saw like, it's like one in like 11 bajillion or something, okay, that one guy could fulfill maybe like eight of these prophecies. Um, But this week I heard it illustrated in a whole different way. And I was like, that's so good. I have to share that um, with our people. This week I heard it illustrated that the probability of one man, one man fulfilling 300 prophecies hundreds of years before he would ever come into the world is the equivalent of if we took the entire state of Texas, anybody from Texas, anybody, they're always like really proud people to admit that bigger and better in Texas. I don't no, that's just what they say. But if we were to cover the entire state of Texas, the entire state of Texas, four feet high with half dollar coins, okay? Four feet high, entire state of Texas, half dollar coins, and we just took one of those coins and painted the opposite side of it red, all right, and then turned it over. And then we just grabbed one of you guys and walked you into the entire state of Texas and was like, hey, why don't you turn over the one with the red on the other side, all right? That is the equivalent of one man fulfilling all of these prophecies hundreds of years before he would be born. But guess what? That's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's exactly what we're looking at over these few weeks together is that Jesus was who he said he was through the prophecies and through his arrival that he was the son of God and ultimately the savior of the world. Um, the last couple of weeks, if you haven't been here, we looked at two different prophecies. One, that he would come through Abraham. That's where we were week one. And we saw Abraham do some wild and crazy stuff. And we saw the truth that God chooses and God uses lives that are fully obedient to him. Um, and then last week, we looked at that God would also come, Jesus would come through the line of David, through the family lineage of David, a guy who was broken, jacked up, failed, mistake filled, but that God would come through his family. And we saw that God alone can mend the mistakes of our life um, to do mighty works in us and through us when we'll let him do that. And so today we're going to look at a third prophecy, um, also from the Old Testament. So if you have a copy of Scripture, go to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. Isaiah, a little over halfway through your Bible. If you get to Psalms, just kind of keep going. Um, And if you don't have a hard or digital copy of Scripture with you today, we'll put the verses behind me on the screen as always just for you to kind of track along. Um, If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that Isaiah was actually one of these prophet guys. He was one of the guys that God used to speak about um, what was to come, to foretell of the truth that would be. And so the last couple of weeks, we've kind of taken the approach of look at the life of Abraham. We've looked at the life of David, and we kind of talked about some of the different things that they walked through. Um, Today, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach where we're going to actually look at just this one verse of prophecy, and I want us to kind of walk through some different parts of that. And here's what I hope that you see. I want us to see that the power of this one prophecy, this one promise that God made thousands and thousands of years ago, 
that it still very much applies, it very much impacts you and me today, right here, Christmas 2017, it still matters for us. And so every week I've kind of given you a truth statement that I want you to kind of write down, remember, this is what I hope that you remember like this evening, tomorrow at lunch, Thursday night when you're doing the last minute gift shopping, all right, Friday afternoon when you're wrapping presents. I want you to remember this truth right here today because I believe it matters for everybody in the room, and that's this, that God's promise to be present God's promise to be present is still a present promise for you. God's promise to be present is still a very present promise for you. What we're going to see in Scripture today is a promise from God spoken thousands of years ago that He would be present with His people. But where I hope that you leave with today in just a little bit is that you leave realizing that that's still a relevant promise. That's still a present promise for you today wherever you are. The reality is we enter uh, the Christmas season this year, the end of 2017, just a few weeks left. And for us, we all enter at different places, don't we? For some of you, maybe it's been like the best year it has been in a long time. Like, you're, man, your relationships are good, work's good, kids are all right, they're not misbehaving, making decent grades. Man, everything's all right. Finances are kind of at least stable, okay? And everything's good for you. But chances are that that's not where everybody in the room is. Chances are, for some of you, you enter the end of 2017, you enter the Christmas season, and man, there's a lot of things, or maybe some things in your life that are just a little bit chaotic. For some of you, maybe it's some family drama, some family fallout that's going on. The same people that you're about together with and celebrate the holidays in a few weeks, right? Just, just smile. How are y'all? That's good, all right? Um, maybe for some of you, it's turmoil at your workplace, Or maybe you're in a place of looking for work, or maybe it's conflict in your marriage or with your kids, or maybe it's stuff going on with your parents, or maybe you're battling some financial pressures and struggles, or maybe it's a health struggle that you're in. Maybe you're walking through a place of depression that you didn't think you would ever be in, but it's very real for you right now. Or maybe for some of you, maybe for this year, you're getting ready to do Christmas without. Maybe without somebody that you love for the first time ever. For the first time in a long time, or maybe for you, it's Christmas without. Maybe it's without a feeling of happiness and hope and joy that you seem to have had in years past. And so many of us find ourselves entering the most wonderful time of the year, right, with maybe not the most wonderful of circumstances. And so what I hope today is that through the, the power of Scripture, that you would be reminded that when your life is built on and in and through the person of Jesus, that you would find that God is still a very present God. That his promise to be present is still a very present promise for you and me today. And so let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. <clears throat> to kind of set things up for just a second today, um, for our one verse, we're going to just be in one verse today. Uh, King Ahaz is a prominent figure in Isaiah chapter 7. And King Ahaz is the king over the entire nation of Judah. But now Judah's facing a lot of opposition from surrounding territories, so it's wartime. And King Ahaz is faced with a decision to either protect his country by human power, by man-made army power, or to do it by trusting in faith and believe the power of God. And so King Ahaz has a large decision to make. And what we see is that God had actually made a promise to protect Judah, but Ahaz refuses to believe God's promise, and he goes with his own man-made plan. So we have guys like Isaiah, the prophet, who step in and they try to tell King Ahaz, hey, don't you want to really try to trust God? Don't you believe that his plans and his promises are probably better? And in fact, what we see in chapter seven is that God actually tells King Ahaz, he says, test me, like try me. Very rarely do you see that in scripture, but God's so confident in his ability and in his control that he says, test me. But King Ahaz refuses to test and to trust God. Here's why. 
because he doesn't want God's plan to come to truth and have his plan be proven wrong. That we sound like some of us? And so what happens is that Isaiah steps in and Isaiah speaks a word of warning and he speaks a promise, not only to King Ahaz, not only to God's people in this moment, but ultimately it's to you and me today. And so I want us to see this one verse, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And this is what scripture says. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And we're going to walk through some different phrases of that verse. So just stay open right there. But the first phrase I want us to notice is where it says the Lord himself will give you a sign. He will give you a sign. Now, this is an important phrase because it speaks of the timing. It speaks of some very important timing. When a sign was spoken of or given in these days, and, and then it would be fulfilled, it was normally fulfilled like maybe days later or months later or at the most a few years later. But this prophecy was very different. You see, the moment that this was spoken to King Ahaz and to all of his people was around the year 700 B.C. Remember that, 700 B.C. However, the moment that it would be filled when the Savior would arrive would be around the year estimated 5 B.C. So this wasn't a sign that was fulfilled in, well, just a few weeks or a few months or a few years. It was 700 years 700 years of God's people waiting. But what we now see as we look at Scripture from our perspective is that God was present and He was perfect in His timing. He was present and He was perfect in His timing. Chances are you're at a place in life or maybe you're even headed into a season of life where you're going to have to learn to trust God's timing. And can we just all admit that we like we are inherently an incredibly impatient person, okay? All the impatient people, wave your hands in the air. All right, that's good, okay? Man, we, like, we don't like to wait anywhere, honestly. Like, we don't like to wait at the stoplight. Well, Facebook's made that a little bit easier. We don't like to wait at the stoplight. We don't like to wait at the doctor's office. We don't like to wait on the package to arrive. Okay, Amazon, what are you doing? All right, come in. We don't, we don't like to wait at the drive-thru line, all right? Confession time. Not only are you impatient, but here's confession time. How many of you honest people in the room today would say, that you have braved and waited in the drive through line at the brand new Steak and Shake. All the hands in the air, all right? Bunch of y'all lying in the room, okay? You know you wanted it so bad, okay, that you had to, if that is not a spiritual experience of the test of your patience, okay, I don't know what it is. Some of you just drive by, all right, you drive by on Pearson or Riverwind, you just want to look and see what's going on at Steak and Shake, all right? I've seen you. Uh, I, I, am, I am ashamed and I'm proud, okay, to admit that uh, I have braved that experience, okay? Uh, A few weeks ago on a Friday night after a football game, I sat in the line with my family for, let's just stay an extended period of time, okay? And I want to tell you just a little bit about it, if that's okay. Uh, Thanks for asking. And so we pulled up into the parking lot, and like we pulled up thinking that it probably wouldn't take that long. Like if you kind of observe the the overview there or the layout of Steak and Shake, we were the first car into the parking lot. Like we weren't parked at Frisco or or at McAllister's. We're the first car in. I'm like, how long can it really take? It's a Friday night. They've been doing this for a couple of months now. Like surely they're going to move us through the line. So we pull in, stop right there in the parking lot. Me my family we're the first car in and we're like we'll we'll go wait this thing out after 10 minutes of waiting in one spot okay like the tires did not rotate at all we were waiting in one spot for 10 minutes the conversation in my car starts changing a little bit all right and we start figuring out how we're going to get out of line should we stay in this line okay and so the conversation in my car kind of changes to something like this 
Well, you know, we could go to Sonic, like, you know, half price shakes after eight. We could go over there. All right. And then I throw in, if you know me, like I throw in, we could just roll right over here to DQ. We could get the Royal Oreo Blizzard right over here at the DQ. But I know that wouldn't be steak and shake. Right. And so just about the time, just about the time that I'm about to yank that thing out of line, the line moves. And we're like, oh, yeah, we could do this. We got this. We got it. So we pull up, wait another 10 minutes go through all the routine again about all the reasons that we should bail out of line. And then guess what? Right. We're about to jump. We move again. Oh, we got this. We are in. And so then you get to that pivotal point. If you've been to the drive through line, some of you are like, this guy's crazy. We were in that moment. But you get to that pivotal point where like there's the break in line because they got to let you out of the parking lot. And so then you have to like either commit if you're going to go order or you got to bail at that point. OK. And so we like, yeah, we committed. We were in. So we got to the, the order place and we order our burgers and our shakes. And we're like, oh, this is it. Like they got, they're making something for us right now. Like we have arrived, it's coming our way. And then we look around the corner and there's like, there's like five more cars before you can even get to the window. And by our math, that's about like, I don't know, 50 minutes. And so we're going, we're in, we can't leave at this point. We're in. And so we finally make it to the window after one hour of waiting in the drive through line. One hour of my life that I cannot get back. All right. One hour. And when we pull up, like I'm waiting, when we get to that window, I'm waiting on like trumpets to sound or somebody to walk out with a trophy or a t-shirt and be like, you made it. You ma-. They didn't. It was just our order. That's all they had. And it still took a few minutes. Okay. But it finally got to our car. And then we pull out of the parking lot with burgers in hand and shakes. And I don't even tell you what time of night it was, but we survived the drive through wait at the steak and shake never never to do it again all right let me just make that clear i'm not wasting an hour of my life again okay you know we look back now and like we laugh and you laugh at me because i'm crazy but we laugh at the craziness of the weight you know as i thought about this week isn't that just like us with god sometimes isn't that just like us with god when we find ourselves in a waiting place of life or maybe when god doesn't answer fast enough right we find ourselves sitting or that place in life, and we start going restless. We're like, God, why aren't you answering? Why aren't you opening that door? Why aren't you making this clear? Why aren't you providing? And just like my family, we start looking for every single reason why we should jump out of line. We're like, well, that looks good. We could do that. We could, we could leave this thing. I think God told but what about that over there? And we look for every reason to bail out of line. Maybe for you it's waiting for a spouse or waiting for God to provide a child. And maybe you're waiting on another job opportunity or reconciliation with that friend or that family member that it seems so broken that it would never be reunited. And maybe for you, you're waiting on a provision or another opportunity at a place in life. Or maybe for you, man, maybe you've been praying for that friend or that family member to come to faith in Christ or maybe just to come to church one Sunday. And for you, it's so easy to want to just bail out of line. You see, waiting is never an easy place to be because it's in the place of waiting where trust and faith cannot just be words that we say, but it has to be the real actions and attitudes of our heart. See, waiting is one of the truest indicators of the satisfaction level of our lives. When we are waiting, when we're in a place of waiting, either we are confident in who we are in Christ and God's timing for our life, or, or, We're like my family and I, and we're looking for any opportunity to run and bail. You see, when we run and bail, what happens is we miss the promise and the blessing that God has for us at the end of the place of obedience and waiting. A few years back, I heard the phrase, waiting is never wasted when you're waiting with God. 
I love that. Waiting is never wasted when you're waiting with God. See, while my family and I sat in the car that Friday night for what seemed like half of my lifetime, what happened was that my wife and I, who were in the front two seats together, we got a chance to man, just sit and have some relational conversation that we probably wouldn't have gotten to have maybe otherwise. And see, perhaps greater than the burgers and the shakes that we left the parking lot with, perhaps the greater blessing and the greater benefit was the time of waiting where we got a chance to talk and get to know each other a little more deeply. And see, for some of you today, maybe the temptation to jump out of the waiting line or that waiting season of your life is so strong. But God's desire for you is not only for you to know the blessing or the promise at the end of the place of obedience, but it's that in the waiting, He wants you to know Him. See, we have to learn to enjoy the journey of seeking and listening and going, I don't know, and so I need answers. And God, that's going to make me draw a little bit closer to you. And it's in that place of waiting that God is so present. Waiting is never wasted when we're waiting with God because He's present even in that place of waiting. He is active. And God's promise to be present is still a present promise even in your place of waiting today. Second phrase that I want us all to notice from this prophecy in verse 14 is this statement. It says, the virgin will conceive. The virgin will conceive. Um, I was reminded this week as I did a little bit of studying that there's actually some debate among some theological circles about the validity of this claim of Mary to be a virgin uh, and of her to be an unmarried woman because of this Hebrew word that's used here um, in this place. However, as I kind of read multiple angles of this debate, I can stand confidently before you today to say, hey, that even though the thought, the thought of God using a a young unmarried virgin girl to deliver his son into the world, although it may defy our logic, okay, it was indeed the path and the plan that God used to reveal himself and that God used to reveal the son of God, the virgin Mary conceived and she gave birth to a son. In Luke 1, we read the account where the angel delivers this mind-boggling news to Mary. Okay, ladies, put yourself in this place. And the lady hears, Mary hears the voice of the angel in Luke 1, 34. This is how Mary responds. She goes, okay, like, how how does this be? How will this be? How's this going to go down? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, listen to this, the Holy Spirit, Mary, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, the baby to be born, will be called the Son of God. You see, this would be a conception like never before in history and like never again in history. And the fact that Jesus would come through a virgin girl was not only a fulfillment of a prophecy. Yes, it was. But ultimately, it carried great significance because it meant Jesus came from God and not from man. See, as we look back at Scripture, since that moment in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, right, where Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, rebelled against God when they chose their plan and they ate the fruit and they went, God, I know you created us, but we got a better plan we've created. Since that moment, sin entered the world. And Scripture says that sin has become infected in all of us. Here's what Romans would say. Romans 5 verse 12. Look at this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, And death came through sin. That's the result. That's the punishment. And in this way, death came to all people. Why? Because all sinned. See, the sin condition of Adam has been passed down throughout 
all humanity, and we enter the world sinful. Like day one, moment one, we come in sinful. That's why for n- none of you had to teach your kids how to be selfish, right? They all sound like the birds in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 right? They, like you don't have to teach them that. They're wired that way. Why? Because what happened with Adam infected all of us to this day, and sin entered the world. But what Scripture would tell us is that everyone born of man enters the world in sin, but the one who would be born of God would enter in holiness and righteousness. And for that to happen, God had to create and execute a perfect plan where His Son would come in a way that no other son had ever come. And God, in this moment we see, was showing His perfect presence in His perfect plan of conception. It was God's idea, and God brought it to fruition. See, God is present in all His perfect plans. God's plans are not always our plans. In fact, if I've learned anything from my time of following Jesus, it's that rarely, very rarely, are God's plans my plans. But what we begin to see here is that God loves to work in ways that defy human logic, that go against cultural norms, that happen in only a way where He gets the glory. And we have to point to His presence in our life. Isaiah, the prophet would also say later in Isaiah 55, look at this, Isaiah 55 verse 8, he says, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Maybe for some of us today, we need to be reminded that God thinks and God works in just a different stratosphere than us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And for some of you today, you've been trying to figure out how is God going to come through? I mean, I mean, how, it, it doesn't make sense. How is he going to provide? How is he going to work in your life? But today, you just need to be reminded, period, right here, rest in this, that God is ever-present in his plans. He's okay. He's not doubting today, is this going to work? And many, uh, you see Mary in this moment, probably could have come up with a hundred other ways for God to send his son into the world rather than for her to conceive. As a virgin girl, think about that. She probably could just just brainstorm a list of 25 just like that. But in this moment, God was working a perfect plan for her good and for his glory. And maybe for you, maybe God hasn't given you that relationship or that provision or that opportunity that you think that you so desperately need. Maybe because God's working a greater plan. Or maybe God has given you a relationship or an opportunity that maybe you don't really want right now. But God's given it to you because he's working a greater plan in you and through you. See, the most content people alive are those people who have surrendered their plans to the plans of God, and they stand confident in that. I think one of the greatest examples of that from Scripture is a guy by the name of Paul. Um, In the New Testament, Philippians 4, verse 11, listen to what Paul would say. Okay, a guy who'd been beaten and in prison and experienced the lowest of lows. This is what Paul says. I have learned, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all this through him 
Who gives me strength? See, that's not just a locker room poster or something we say before the ball game. Like, there's so much power in that because what Paul says is, he says, I've learned that contentment, I learned how to have contentment no matter what the situation, and here's how it comes. Not by my power, but by the presence of Christ in me. It's not my work, but it's his presence in my life. See, Mary got a plan from God that, let's be honest, was hard, almost impossible to understand. I mean, she had to have many moments where that angel disappeared, and she's like, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, right. But ultimately, as you read, Mary responded with obedience and trust. And for for us today, here's the challenge, okay? Like, good word today. Like, here's the challenge for you and me when we hit that door in just a moment, is that we would trust that God's plans are perfect for our life, and that we would then surrender in trust and obedience. That's where it's hard. That we would surrender and go, not just something we said on Sunday, but like it's true. All right? God's plan for your marriage, listen to me, God's plan for your marriage is perfect. His, his plan is perfect. Maybe not yours, but his plan is perfect if you'll surrender and trust him. God's plan for your job, for your job, your career, is perfect. Just need to learn to listen to him and trust him. God's plan for your future. What are we going to do? I, I'm like, I don't understand. I don't, should we go there? Should we not go there? Should, do we stay here? We take that opportunity. God's plan is perfect. It's perfect. And his timing may not be your timing, and his ways are probably not your ways, but it's perfect. He's good with it. God's plan for your family. God's plan for your finances. They're maybe so broken, you don't see your way out. They're perfect. If we just learn to trust him, do what he says, accept this truth, See, his plans may not be our plans, but God's plans are always better. Always. Always better. And God is present and at work in his plans. And see, that, that, that promise to be present is still a present promise. Even your place of learning to trust him and his ways in your life. But look back at our verse one more time. I want us to read it one more time just to refresh us. Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, his timing's right. The virgin will conceive. His plan's good. It's perfect. And she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That's the last phrase I want us to see. They will call him Emmanuel. Uh, this name, Emmanuel, spelled a couple of different ways in Scripture. It's spelled with an I um, when it's transliterated from the Hebrew language. And then in the New Testament, if you read, it's transliterated from the Greek with an E. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter how you spell it, okay, There's a lot of power in this because this was never just a name for a child, but it was a promise for God's people, okay? If you know about the name Emmanuel, you know it literally means God with us. If you read it in Matthew, it spells it out, puts it in parentheses, Emmanuel, God with us. And I believe that scripture would say that Mary named her baby Emmanuel, God with us, because she believed that God was demonstrating his presence, that he was going to rescue Judah. Remember, King Ahaz got to make a decision. What are we going to do? How are we going to protect Judah? And Mary's going like, God's got this. He's okay. He's going to rescue us. See, Judah was undergoing a lot of opposition, a great threat. And these people had been waiting, not for a couple of weeks, not for a year or two. They've been waiting decades, years for God to deliver. And they were like, we've heard that he's sending a rescuer. I don't know if it's really going to be true. And they're waiting on this rescuer. And here's what they thought. They thought, well, when he shows up, man, he's going to ride a big horse and swing a big sword. And he's going to rescue us from this physical opposition that we have. But guess what? God's ways are not 
our ways. And again, he had a whole lot better plan to rescue them from their spiritual and eternal opposition. And God delivers. You see, God's people had been waiting, think about this, for hundreds of years for this rescuer. And history tells us that there's around 400 years, 400 years from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. 400. 400 years for these people to wonder, like, what is God doing? All right? You thought you've been waiting on an answer a long time. 400 years for them to go, like, did, did God forget us? Like, all those prophecy words, like, were they lying? Why did we buy into that? What were we thinking? 400 years of waiting. And after 400 years of silence, God responded. And I love this. God responded. Not with a trumpet. Not with like a parade in a festival. Not with fire and thunder. He could have done all that. But he responds with the cry of a baby in a manger. Not just any baby though. It was Emmanuel. Emmanuel the baby. And through the cry of a baby in a manger, God said, I'm here. I am present. I'm here. You see, the same promise of God's presence in that moment that was as real as that baby laying in that manger, that same promise of God to be present is real for you. Same truth. See, the greatest hope that you and I can have today, if you're in Christ and you're living and walking in Him, the greatest hope that you and I can have if we're in Christ today is that not only has God paid for us eternally, but it's that He is present with us currently. He's not only just paid for you in full, but He's present with you, all of Himself, present with you in full in Him. But let's be honest. In our day-to-day life, we fail to believe that God is Emmanuel, that he's with us, right? So much of the time, man, when the world hits and life happens and things go on, we just like the Israelites, we start wandering around going, I don't, I don't know if God's still here. I, I mean, I think maybe he forgot. Like, I know what I heard on Sunday. I know what I read on Tuesday morning, but like, I just don't know if that's real. Like, not in my world. No. And we begin to doubt and wonder, just like the Israelites. You see today, man, the Christmas story The prophecy of old shouts the reminder that God's promise to be present is still real for you today. It is still real for you. And for some of you, what you need today more than deliverance from your trouble is the reminder that God is present. The Emmanuel is present with you in your trouble. And his timing and his plans are perfect for you. See, the first part of this name, um, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, means with us. And the syllable El um, speaks towards God. And so one commentator that I read this week said that the name Emmanuel actually is in somewhat of an unusual order. And when you really break it down, Emmanuel in this order indicates an emphatic with us is God. With us is God. The name Emmanuel emphasizes the nearness of God, that Jesus would bring the infinite holy God and he would bring him within arm's reach arm's length of the finite sinful man the big god would be put in the form of a baby so that he could be present with you and me Um, you see presence changes our preparation and it changes our perspective 
Presence changes our preparation and it changes our perspective. Some of you are about to demonstrate that truth really uh, nearly to us because in the next couple of weeks, like you're going to host some family at your house for Christmas. Okay, like the, the kids are coming in, parents are coming in, all right, grandparents, in-laws, you're going to do it. Okay, they're coming to your house. All right, they're going to be there and you got to figure out what you're going to do. And here's what I know, it's changing your preparation, okay? For the first time in a long time, you're putting Christmas lights up on the outside of the house. I don't care if they work or not, but the family's going to be here. We got to put them out, right? For some of you, you are cleaning behind the couch. You are for the first time in, I don't know, months, maybe a year or two. You, you're, you're dusting the blinds or at least like shaking the curtains off a little bit, okay? Maybe for the first time this decade. I don't know. I haven't been to your house. But what happened? Your preparation is changing because family is going to be present and we got to do something about it. And then when they get there, all right, for however long you let them stay there, okay? 12 hours, 24 hours, we're done with y'all, go home, okay? Listen, your perspective in that moment is different, is it not? Okay, some of you go walk into the living room, all right? Some of you men go walk in. You got your chair in there. There's going to be some little knucklehead, all right? Your nephew or something, he's going to be sitting in your chair. You're like, son, you don't understand who pays water bill around here, all right? And power, you need to go and get out of my chair, all right? That's where some of you going to be. And then when you turn on the TV, what happens? Like, you can't just go to whatever show you want to watch. Well, I don't watch football, but man, I got a seven-year-old in here. He likes to watch Looney Tunes, okay? Like, you got to change what you watch. And ladies, the same thing for you when you go to the kitchen, okay? You don't just cook for your three, all right? You got to make chicken nuggets and mac and cheese for all the ones who don't want to eat all the vegetables, right? It changes our perspective. Why? Because they are present. See, presence changes our preparation, and it changes our perspective on things. And for some of you, for some of you, if you would really begin to understand that God is present, that he is Emmanuel. It wasn't just something he said thousands of years ago, but like it's a reality for your life. If you would understand that he is present with you, then it would begin to change your preparation and your perspective on everyday moments of life. Think about it. You could let go of that worry and that anxiety if you believe that God was really present. You wouldn't have to have control over every single little moment, every single little detail if you believe that God was present that he's sovereign, that his plan's perfect. That fear and that stress that wears you out, you can learn to let it go. If you believe God's present, that his plan's better than yours, the fact that God is present can change the way that we prepare for the day. It changes the perspective that we live with during the day because God's promise to be present wasn't just a promise to the people of this moment, but it's still a present promise to you and me today. I think maybe one of the greatest pictures of the power of presence is when our children are young and it's time to tuck them into bed, right? Uh, this week, my little guy turned five, which made mom and dad feel really old, okay? But we're going to make it. No counts on needed. We're, we're going to make it through, okay? A couple of tears shed, but we're going to be good. But I remember when, when Braylon, my little guy, was younger, and, and it wasn't every night, but it was some nights where we would like go through the bedtime routine, okay? Mama sings the song, daddy would pray, and we'd, we'd talk for a moment, tuck him in, okay? We'd be hitting the door, walking out. You know how it goes. And he goes, Mom, Dad, will one of you stay in here till I go to sleep? Okay, and, and we would, not every night, but sometimes we would give in, and so one of us would kind of find your little spot, sit down, lay down, and then we would just, we'd just sit there, right, until he closed his eyes and goes to sleep, whenever that would happen, okay? Sometimes it was quick, sometimes it took a long time, and we'd just be present. You know, as I thought about that this week, like just the logic of that request, that if you've got kids or grandkids, they've all said that at some point, the, the logic of that request is really, it's really pretty funny, okay, because in that moment, the parent the parent does nothing, right? You, 
you're just there. Like you just sit there. You do nothing. Now, some of you, I know how some of you are. Okay. For some of you, you pull out your phone and like you pull the screen brightness all the way down. So you don't have, uh huh. I know who you are all the way down. And then you just scroll Facebook. Like that's your time when you catch up on Facebook, right? I, I know who you are. But for the most part, the parent in that moment does literally nothing. You just sit there. But you know what? That's just enough. That presence is just enough to calm their fear and to help your kid fall off to sleep. See, presence is a very powerful thing. Have you ever thought about this? When we grow up and we get big and we get older, it doesn't really change. Man, we just want to know that we're not alone. We just want to know that somebody's present. Present with us when, in our big boy fears present with us in our, our parental doubts, present with us in our struggle, in our failure. And we just want to know somebody's there. And see, God, because He's the perfect Father, He's really good. He knows the desires. He knows the needs of His kids. And that's why He gives us the promise of His presence. You see, promise of God's presence wasn't just the first thing that God the Father spoke through Jesus the Son in a manger. But the promise of God's presence was also the very promise that God gave through His Son as He left this earth. See, the promise of God's presence, it was the first and it was the last thing that God said through Jesus on this earth. When you look at it, look at Matthew 28, verse 18. This is what it says. Then Jesus came to them. He's talking to everybody on the hillside. He came to them and He said, Hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I got this. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I'm okay. Verse 19, here's a charge to us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them, teach them all these things I've taught you. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Here it is. Don't miss it. And surely, surely, I am with you always. Always. To the very end of the age. See, God, like a perfect father, he knew the fear, the worry, the doubt, the pain, the struggle of this world would get the best of you and me. He knew it. He created it all. And he knew what would happen in the brokenness of sin. And that's why in his last words through his son on earth, he goes, one more time, one more time. You're going to need this. I'm with you. Always, always, to the very end of the age. See those words spoken in Isaiah seven thousands of years ago? It was never God just giving a name to a child, but it was God giving a promise to his people for all time. And for some of you today, as you enter Christmas 2017, be honest, life feels lonely. And it feels like maybe you've been abandoned. Maybe you're struggling through a broken marriage. Maybe you're spending the holidays by yourself for the first time. Maybe you're facing an uncertain health situation. Or financially, you are barely hanging on. Maybe for you, you're trying to fight off depression. No, I don't have it. No, I don't have it. No, I don't have it. Maybe for you, you're trying to make sense of some very unfortunate life circumstances that you didn't ask for, but you got handed. Maybe 
You're like a little kid at bedtime. And you just want to know somebody's there. You just want to know somebody's present. And I pray today for you that man, the truth of Scripture and the evidence of the narrative of God's story in history would remind you that God's promise to be present is still a very present promise for you when you surrender and you trust Him. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.